Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. We want to thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. We are here to help you become a student of yourself, giving you ideas you can use on your self-development journey. And we're launching our series on the Enneagram, as you may know, and think you'll love this. If you want to dive deeper into ways you can grow beyond your personality type, go to bigselfschool.com backslash Enneagram and download our free guide, How to Unlock Your Potential with the Enneagram. Again, that's bigselfschool.com backslash Enneagram. It's a free guide, and I think you're going to just love it as well as the conversation we're about to have. Okay, hello. Welcome to our Type 9 panel with our beautiful panelist. Um, I have a soft spot in my heart for type nine. So I'm really glad that you all are here. Um, and people that are listening to this series will know that we're talking to panels on um, their, their type. And we're really getting into some of the things that they think about and feel and how they lead, some challenges. Um, but specifically, what I really want us to focus on is you're growing, how you're growing, how, if at all, you're using the Enneagram to grow. Um, you know, it's it can c- create a feeling sometimes for people that it's putting us in a personality box. And in fact, it's trying to liberate us from that box and help us grow and be the people and the leaders that we have the potential to be. So we're really going to focus on that in this conversation. So before we jump in, I would love our panelists to introduce themselves. Tell us um, who you are and your role. And if you want, you can tell us a little bit about um, how, you know, your background with the Enneagram um, at all and just kind of how you're using it, how long you've known about it. Either one. Either one. (laughs) Well... I'm Susanna. I'm in Colorado, and I'm co-founder and chief learning officer for two companies um, in the wellness coaching space. So one of them, we have a team of wellness coaches I work with where we go in and um, coach employees. And the other one, we train people to be wellness coaches. So kind of wear two hats with that. And I learned about the Enneagram several years ago, but have really, probably in the last year and a half, kind of been diving deeper into it. I have been going through the CP Enneagram coach certification program. I'm also myself, I'm a national board certified wellness coach and a counselor. So for those different things. So I've been doing it for a lot of personal growth and development, um, as well as bringing it into my work and kind of have some future plans with using the Enneagram in our businesses as well. That's great. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Hi, well, I am Leslie Scarce. I am the president and CEO of the United Way of Greater Chattanooga and have been in this particular executive role. Uh, I think I'm starting my sixth year um, here with the United Way. And previously, um, I led another youth development organization um, here in Chattanooga, Tennessee for 17 years previously. And um, so, so it, I've kind of grew up as a leader from a very young age. And so I wish that I had known about the Enneagram. Um, it's, it's bringing to life for me um, as I've discovered this tool. Um, so many of the, it, it explains for me so many of the pitfalls, but also um, just just big wins too over the last 20 something years of leadership. Um, and so, so I began this work uh, with Shelly um, directly, you know, I'd heard about the Enneagram, you know, the, 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 
very surface level quizzes that people encourage you to take. Um, I had done those types of things and had always been mistyped um, over the years. And so in my work with Shelly um, in a very small group setting um, professionally, dug much more deeply into this. And so what I have found is that um, we've been in- integrating the Enneagram into our executive team here at the United Way and very deeply using this tool in a one-on-one with a colleague. And um, because we are so different um, in our leadership styles and in our Enneagram types, um, it's just really allowed us to bring out the best in each other and then therefore bring out the best in our teammates and then um, really the, the organization. So it's been, a, it's been a, a wonderful growth path. Yeah, yeah. And I can attest to the fact that I know both of you all are using the tool uh, the way that we believe it's intended to be used, which is for growth. It's not meant to just kind of lock us in. Okay, let's get to a question. I want to start a little bit kind of broad, more generally, before we dive into some type-specific questions. So you you all are in, uh, your center of intelligence is the body center of intelligence, which, um, you know, the, the body is an instinctive, uh, the body types are very um, adept at perceiving the world through their senses. And so seeing and hearing and feeling and tasting, um, they really, you know, the, the body houses movement or, or lack of movement, as the case may be. So I'm really curious um, what it's like for you all to be a body type. How do you pick up information around you in relationships and in the world through your bodies? Um, or is it hard? You know, no, nines are kind of notoriously hard for, I think of all the body types that are probably the most disconnected from those instincts and that gut knowing. Um, so talk a little bit about how that shows up in your life and your work and maybe um, some struggles around that, but how you've worked with it too. I would say that I really rely on intuition quite a bit when mm-hmm. I'm in different situations. And for example, when when we get our team of coaches together and we're having a meeting, I'm kind of noticing other people in the group. Um, if I'm noticing differences in, in them um, from normal, it's it's pretty common that after a meeting, I may check in with someone just to see how they're doing, if it seems like they're struggling a bit or seem kind of down or something like that. Uh, and in, I would say in more business meeting type settings, I'm very much tuned into the room and any tension between people, if I feel like there's misunderstandings, misalignments with people. I think I'm always looking for kind of tone of voice and body language and all of those types of things. So I think I'm taking in all that information that really helps me understand where the other person's coming from. And it's just a way I take in information to move forward with kind of my next steps and how things are going with the group as a whole. Yeah, that's good. Leslie, how about you? Yes, I think similarly, I, um, I have a, a strong intuition and a sense of gut knowing. Um, I don't think though, until this process with the Enneagram, I knew to trust it to be frank. I, I think that I, I knew it. And I had peers and other coaches in my years as, as a leader saying, you know what to do, do it. You know, I, I think as a nine, as this peacemaker, you want feedback, you want others to be with you. You know, you kind of want this sense of buy-in and harmony when what I what I've been really leaning into from a growth point of view is my gut is usually right, so it doesn't mean just always run with it without facts, you know, and without time to to test that gut instinct. Certainly, don't be rash, but but I have certainly been listening to it more, and 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 also when my intuition is telling me something's amiss or someone is not okay to your point, Susanna, 
um, not ignoring that or trying to stuff that down for the sense of harmony or for the group, but, but learning how to call it out or address it in the moment or, or check in and, and using that gut instinct, um, to move people forward. Um, so I'm just learning to listen to it more and trust it. Could you either of you all share a little bit about kind of the internal process that might happen, um, for you all specifically, but maybe generally for nines, who, and I think that gut knowing is super subliminal. I think it's on this real unconscious, uh, pre-conscious level where it's not quite in our awareness, but what happens inside you when you are getting some instinctual information that requires action and you choose not to act or you, you make the decision not to that's still, you know, it's still an action. So like, how do you, how does that process, are you even aware of how that process happens where I need to move forward? Like you're talking about, Leslie, I need to act here, but I'm not going to, or I'm going to pull back because I think a lot of nines probably do. They resist the, um, the potential for conflict. You know, if mm-hmm. I step out and, and act in this way, so what might happen? So what happens inside for you all? I would say I, I feel it in my, literally in my gut, like in my stomach. It's like a anxiety, almost nervous kind of feeling. Um, and when I ignore it or address it or kind of stuff it down, um, for a minute, th- th- there's a, I guess there's there's something in it for me if I do that because it feels good for a second, mm. but then it just rises back up or it mm-hmm. feels, you know, like it doesn't work for long. So I've listened to that and instead have learned that um, taking that moment to address that feedback or that conflict or what needs to be said in that moment actually just deflates the anxiety so much quicker and makes it the norm so that it in the future doesn't become an anxiety anymore. So it used to feel um, bad, doesn't feel bad anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree with the kind of feeling in my stomach, like a, um, almost like it's churning or like an unsettled feel. Um, also maybe like my heart rate increases or there's mm-hmm. sort of a heightening of my attention. So like I'm super tuned in to something that I need to feel like I maybe need to make a comment or need to say something, step in and do something. And when I don't do that, I think then the moment passes. So sometimes I'll pause too long to not jump in and say something. And then it's like, oh, like I missed the moment, Um, that type of thing. And kind of... um, like what Leslie was saying of I'm, I'm learning to do better with speaking up when I'm feeling it. And oftentimes it, it is necessary. Like I, maybe I'll say something and someone's very relieved that I brought it up or somebody else was thinking it or that I said something. So kind of that trusting that feeling is something Mm -hmm. that I am working on. But for me, it is actual physical sensations of like, Mm -hmm. Kind of something, something's mm-hmm. off. I need to step in. I need to say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just heard someone who was an eye and say how important body like exercise or getting in his body is. Um, and he, I love what he said. He said, it, t- it turns me from vapor into a solid. And because mm. as a nine, he's like, I can sometimes be this kind of almost like a, a vapor, like a void. And so when I'm in my body and I really exercise, the movement of my body, then it's like, it reminds me like, Oh no, I'm a self, I'm a thing. I'm substantive. And I just really, I just, um, you know, not as a body type. I thought that was really powerful the way he said that. Mm. So I want to move really quickly over to type nine, some of your, um, definable characteristics. And so I just want to mention a few. Um, and of course, how these manifest will dependent be dependent on you, who you are, your subtype, you know, all these conditions around you. But in general, 
these are what define uh, type nine. Adept at seeing all sides of a situation, avoids conflict, supportive of others, an accommodating, go-with-the-flow kind of style. They detach from their anger, and they can be indecisive. So I'm curious kind of what what comes up for you all as I read that list, I guess. Um, and then what are some of the challenges? How has some of these characteristics been challenging for you? Maybe pick a couple, one or two. Um, and then how have they benefited you as a leader as well? Yeah, one of them that stands out to me, I think, is the adept at seeing all sides of a situation. Um, that definitely is something I feel that I do bring to the table. And when, you know, we're trying to make a decision about something moving forward or um, go in a new direction, I, I do tend to see kind of all different sides of a situation or when people are coming at things from a different place. So I think that that can be really good. I, I actually love hearing different people's voices and their thoughts and opinions and pulling that all in to kind of making a decision to moving forward. I think the downside of that, it can take time. You know, it can, it can slow the process down just a little bit instead of just myself, just making a quick decision moving forward. So mm-hmm. I think it's, again, finding a balance with that particular one. Um, but in general, I would say it's a strength of, of mine. And I think a, a characteristic that nines do bring nicely into leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I've heard um, nines described as modest mediators, and that does make for good leadership. You know, especially if you're in a role that requires a lot of convening and bringing people together towards common goals. And so I think that that's been a, a, a true strength. The, the other challenge to that is not just, though, that it can be slower, but it's also that, you know, if you're, you know, I can, I can really meld and connect with whoever I'm talking with. And I have learned that through that, um, it can, I, I can sometimes not, not communicate with clarity or can be seen as being wishy-washy or indecisive because I'm nodding and connecting with you. And then you, and then you, Shelly, you know, and taking in all sides of this, all, all data points, all sides of the information before making a decision. And so um, certainly I can see how that would be um, seen as less than clear or perhaps indecisive. Um, so that's something that I've, I've worked on to um, really edit in my behavior when I am hearing all sides to a story to speak back what I'm hearing, but to be sure that I'm still clear on who I am so that I'm not becoming you or becoming Shelly when we're talking. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, it was a completely unconscious behavior that I had. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, and that's the beauty of this tool, right? I think it points out things that we're just so blind to. And Leslie, Mm -hmm. what you're talking about is the merging tendency, you know, the, yes. the desire to really stay connected with so many people um, and that the separation that conflict brings potentially is just, you know, it feels terrible for a type nine. So the strategy of like, I've got to figure out how to merge and stay connected um, so that it protects even my own kind of internal sense of chaos. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that's a perfect mm-hmm. description. Would you all be willing to talk about your anger? Yeah. Um, I'm really curious because we know that that of all the body types, which is also kind of what we talk about, the anger triad. And so eight, nines, and ones tend to um, have this relationship with anger more than the other triads. Uh, but nines tend to repress it the most. And so they've really tamped down on that anger. So how does it come out for you? Does it come out for you? What does that look like in your leadership and how are you working with it? I never get angry, Shelly. Just kidding. (laughs) I'm starting to get angry. (laughs) You're not angry, right? 
How, what, how does it look? <laughs> What's it look like for you, Leslie? That, I hate this because it drives. It's the trait that drives me the craziest in other people. But it's it's total. It, it's I think it's passive aggressive behavior. I don't even. I you're right because I totally detach from anger. I don't feel a lot of anger um, in a typical way. Um, what happens for me, I think, is frustration starts to build under the surface and it starts to bubble up. And then I find that I'm in big trouble when I have a lot of resentment building and that leads to burnout, right? And that I can find this anger coming out in me when all of a sudden I'm snapping at, at where I shouldn't snap or I'm feeling really resentful of, of someone or in a passive aggressive way, I'm you know, at work, dropping into, um, you know, a work situation that I, that I don't trust or, um, you know, making a passive aggressive comment here or there. So it, it doesn't come out in a direct way. It comes out passively and, or, or in a feeling of resentment, or I let it build to a breaking point. Um, so it's, it's, it's a, it's an under the surface bubble. And usually nines have smile on their face, right? When yeah. they're doing it. So they're like, everyone's like, this is going great. And under the surface, nines are like, oh, this is not going great. Exactly. <laughs> Susanna, how about you? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> you just said. Yeah, same. I'm like, yep, me too. Um, yeah, everything you said, I would say is very similar Um for me. And this has been something pretty interesting for me in studying the Enneagram is at first I was thinking completely kind of like what you were joking around at the beginning of like, oh, I never get angry. Um, I kind of would have said that, but now I'm recognizing kind of that resentful feeling or the passive aggressive way I might respond um, that that is there. Like, so I'm, so this has been new for me in the past few years to really even recognize this. And it's pretty fascinating to see when I catch myself and I'm like, ah, oh, look at what I'm doing here. <laughs> so this, I think this is a hard one. This is a blind spot. I would say at least for myself as a nine and something I've been trying to consciously pay attention to, to change because I want to deal, like we all have emotions. We all have we all get angry. There's reasons, good reasons to get angry sometimes. So trying to find just a healthier way to deal with it so it doesn't build up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So the nine's adaptive strategy is the go along to get along in the world. They avoid conflict in order to avoid the pain of separation from important people in their lives. As a result, they fall asleep to themselves as a way to avoid the experience of conflict and separating from others. So this idea of falling asleep to yourself, um, I think, you know, for non-nines, it's really um, maybe vague or a little... Um, not quite clear of what that looks like or, how, you know, how do you know, what have you observed in yourself that you've fallen asleep to? And then I guess second part I, I'm wondering about that is how have you woken up? Like what kinds of things are you waking up to that you've once were asleep to? One thing that comes to mind for me is... I have a tendency to take on other people's agendas or their um, kind of direction, you know, things that are important to them and take on those tasks myself. And I'm in an interesting position in that my husband of almost 29 years and I are in business together. So we've been working together for 14 years and he's a social three. So he has a lot of... Um, big ideas and goals and lots of energy. And that has been something we've worked on over time and that it's very easy for me to come alongside and just get behind his, his direction. Um, so that's something I've, you know, I can take that too far. And then we're back to that resentful piece we were just talking about that I can um, 
fall into. So I think the falling asleep to myself can be when I'm too much getting involved in someone else or other people or the company's um, agenda and direction and not really including Mm. things that are as important to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Honestly, how about you? That's a great example. You know, I think for me, falling asleep to myself is oftentimes, um, especially as a leader, it's a lot of tiny fall asleeps. Mm. You know, like um, accountability, I think, is is something that I'm working on tremendously in the sense that, um, you know, leading people, there are, there could be 20 things a day that I can and should call out as a corrective coaching moment. And that's 20 potential opportunities to grow someone, connect with them if you look at it positively or if you're less healthy, 20 potential pain of separation moments, right? So I think that it's been hard for me, especially as a really young leader. I mean, I was an executive director at the age of 22, leading people who were my parents' age to be able to, you know, like I'll I'll write down, I need to talk to this person about these five things that happened today. And it's almost like, oh, once I wrote those five things down, I feel better. But I didn't actually, but I fell asleep to that and didn't actually follow through um, because of the fear of what happens when that happens, when, when you have that hard conversation. Is it the fear of that conflict? The, the fear of that conflict. conflict. Yeah. Mm, yep. And so I think that that adaptive strategy of, of getting along or, or saying things to someone, but not as clear as they should be said. And so the, the idea that clear is kind and really, really leaning into that has been a growth, a real um, area of growth um, for me Mm -hmm. to wake up to myself and to also then wake up to the person sitting across from me because that's what they need more than anything Mm -hmm. is to know clearly where they stand and to not be left wondering Mm -hmm. and to know that that's best for them too. Yeah. And I, I think my son's a nine, a self-preservation nine, and he's 15, so he's we're still figuring all that out. But his kind of default, and I've heard this about nines in general too, is I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, that's a very, that's a convenient um, strategy. Like, if I don't know, then I don't have to step into this and bring myself into this. And so I'd rather just say, I don't know. Like, even with when I have coached people who are nines around priorities, And it's so, it's like that void in there of like, I don't know what my priorities are. I don't know what to bring to my spouse and say, this is what I need or want. Um, And I think that goes back to some of that self-forgetting. So I guess, how does this show up with your priorities? You know, Susanna, you talked a little bit about that. Um, You know, what are you aware of when you're deciding these are the the most like the one most important thing or the three important things or you know Leslie you could talk to 20 people but you're deciding who are the three you have to talk to how do you not fall asleep to the what's the most important and what your gut is telling you to do <laughs> instead of i don't know <laughs> Which is convenient and really easy. Gets us a pass, I guess. I don't struggle with the I don't know. My problem is I tend to think I do know too much. But I think think that's a function of being in a leadership position since I was 22. And people always look at me like I'm supposed to know. Um, Mm. You know, but I will tell you. I fall asleep to myself all the time by just putting my own priorities last period. I, um, it it really, I have to stop, breathe, pause, and constantly be taking stock like almost eight times a day of the next 20 or 30 minutes sometimes just to reassess. It really is, is requiring that level of intention. Um, because I am, the, the idea of falling asleep to yourself, I, I, I can relate to that mm-hmm. because I, I will always, always put my own needs last. 
um, personally and professionally. What about you, Susanna? Do you do that too? I do. Um, yeah. And one, one thing that came to mind as you were talking about kind of what's the one thing I should be doing today or kind of the prioritizing tasks, one thing I'll fall into and I feel like how I can fall asleep to myself a bit is I'm busy. Like I'm doing things all day long. I'm mm-hmm. doing things um, at work, you know, always have a lot of things on my to-do list what I find is sometimes the little things that they're just, they're quicker, they're easier. I may just start doing some of those things and, and a big task, like what I really need to be doing feels like it takes a lot of effort or there are parts of it. I'm not sure how to do. I'm a little uncertain about which way to go. So I'll put that off. So that piece I've really been working on of just each day, what is the one big thing I need to do today mm-hmm. and come at it with energy and with focus and let's get it done. Mm-hmm. And that is very helpful mm-hmm. when I'm very intentional with that piece. Cause again, before I would still be getting things done all day long and doing things, but was it the one right action I needed for that day? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, I, I have, yeah, I have found, um, I keep a list that literally every morning are like the three most critical things. And then one personal thing for me that is top of mind and something else that I've just learned is, is a must. And I'm going to have to keep the discipline is one day a month with nothing on the agenda to just be alone in silence with my own thoughts, silence to just breathe vision and and reset on on leadership reflect and just reconnect um, to myself because that is always the, the thing that is easiest for me to let to let go um, I have a tendency to have that idea that to be constantly in motion but is it in service to the right things and when you have an entire team that's following you it's a really big deal. Because whatever I, wherever I'm headed in that motion, they're going to. And so to stop and pause and really take stock um, is, is just a discipline that is, is, is I've started and it's going to be a must that I, I continue in the days to come. Yeah. And you all are beautifully talking about the passion of sloth, of type nine, which is the self-forgetting. Um, I think I've heard it said um, that... You know, especially social nines, which you all both might be, um, are the most kind of active, quote, workaholic types of the entire Enneagram because there's this constant motion in service to the group, in service to the community. Um, but they forget themselves in those decisions. And that's the sloth, you know, the self forgetting that y'all are talking about. And then, Susanna, you mentioned right action. Uh, and Uranio, our teacher, talks about right action as focused on the one thing that needs to be done and inhabiting the energy to do it. It is full commitment of the heart to do what's needed. In right action, you have total emotional engagement with the necessary movement so that you become revolutionary. And I love how he talks about nines are the revolutionaries. When they're in right action and they get all that energy back in their bodies, it's like, watch out, like just, you know, let them do their thing because they are pretty revolutionary. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your growth paths. Um, You know, specifically when I think about the growth path, uh, which Mm -hmm. the, the fluidity of the Enneagram is a map has probably been for me personally, the most powerful thing I've gotten from it and how it's pointing literally with wings and arrows, it's pointing us to some of our deepest, most transformational growth. So I'd love for you all to share a little bit about, um, so your wings are, y'all are eight and one, right? And your arrows are three and six. So I'm curious, let's start start with the wings, Um, your eight wing and your one wing, Kind of, you know, and and for people that don't know, type eight, um, there's lots of names people give that. Challenger, the protector. These are the folks that are not scared of confrontation. 
they're not scared of conflict. They see it actually as engaging and kind of, uh, there's an intimacy building for, for type eights around conflict. Um, type ones are the perfectionist reformer types, uh, really, uh, oriented toward improving what's wrong in the world. Um, you know, they kind of see a, a, an ideal and a path of getting there. And then they sometimes don't understand why everybody else doesn't have that same standard uh, or see the same thing. So how are these wings showing up for you? Are you um, actively working on integration of some of those characteristics of the eight and the one? And then just share a little bit about what that looks like for you. With the one wing, I think that that one comes a little more natural to me of kind of leaning in that direction, kind of with the organization piece, with um, just seeing seeing the steps, what needs to happen next, um, kind of having that integrity piece mm-hmm. to it. Like those those things all, I feel like for a long time, have been a part of just kind of who I am, how I show up, what I bring into leadership. I would say the eight wing is has been interesting for me to look at and to step into just a little bit more. And with that, I think it is more that showing up with um, confidence and bigger energy and, and kind of some power with that piece of it that... I think there are times where I do show up in that way, um, but that is not, it's not as natural for me. And I think it's as I've been, you know, maturing as a person and as a leader, I think it's something that I do even more at this point. Yeah. So an eight is one of my arrows as a two, Excuse me. And it is, you know, it represents transformational growth for a type two to get into that eight space and really be direct, uh, risk confrontation. And it's really hard. Like that arrow is the one that I think I'll be working on for the rest of my life because it is, I have to like muster up all this strength and courage to go into that space. And so I would imagine it's somewhat similar as a nine as Mm -hmm. well. Like, oh, that's... To, to be that confrontive or potentially confrontive or at least risk the confrontation is, you know, eights do that really well. Mm-hmm. Leslie, how about you? Oh, I would definitely say the same. Um, there's something that's naturally leaning towards a one as well, just as far as this idea of improving the community and, you know, standing for something like that's just who I am. The, the eight, um, I have very purposefully, been mustering the courage to lean into my eight, um, recognizing, frankly, that what this organization and the team has needed from me is a much stronger sense of authority um, and, um, yeah, author- authority, accountability, um, the ability to walk into a situation and instead of being the cheerleader or the mediator, to be the question asker and the challenger. And what that has allowed for one is for people to see an edge of my leadership that they can trust more because it's strong. Um, and it's allowed my teammates who are opposite of me to breathe and maybe lean into their ability to be more of a peacemaker or, mm-hmm. you know, explore other sides of their leadership because we all kind of get into our ruts and our own types and, and, and it's, it's allowing us to be more well-rounded, frankly. Um, this work we've been doing, you know, especially a, a teammate um, together on the Enneagram every other week, you know, as I lean more into my challenger eight authority, which she has a lot of, she can breathe and practice being more of a peacemaker, which she needs to do too. And it's just allowed that for both of us and, and is, is really healthy. Yeah, and I think you're speaking a lot to a couple things. So the the empathy, I think the the enneagram allows us to have, which is um, seeing each other's um, kind of characteristics more than just this fixated type of like 
of, of, of who they are and something we don't understand, you know, cause a mm-hmm. lot of times teams will get like, exactly like you're saying, Leslie, I think there's this, we get stuck in these ruts and then the more we don't understand all the depth of like, why, what's the motivation behind some of that? We just dig our heels in even deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually it can create, sadly, it can create some impasses. And so I think this tool really does highlight, oh, there's a lot more going on than just the behavior that we see. But also, when we do the work, when we do this inner self-development on ourselves, it does shift the dynamic in the team. And people then, there's trust that's built. It's like then they can step into their own self-development work. Um, And I think if more and more people would trust that process, things would maybe not quickly, but they do start to um, create space for empathy and for conversations and people stepping into some new potential growth path that they maybe couldn't do because they were so in their personality before, you know, because they felt like they had to be. Um, What about your arrows? And so, you know, the three and the six and the way that I think about the nine, um, potentially embodying some of those characteristics. So the three, you know, I think about a nine really putting themselves out there more, um, maybe being a little self-promotional, maybe being a little bit more kind of um, vocal about some, you know, the whole idea of the the nine is the, I'm, I'm not important enough to really step in to this. And so the threes, I think do that, almost like polar opposite. Uh, and the way that we talk about the arrows is they're the antidote to our type. And so the three really does put you out there on stage a little bit more, makes you more efficient, makes you have energy to get a lot of stuff done. And then the six, um, and I think let, Leslie, we were talking about too with the challenger, like mm-hmm. the six being this suspicious kind of skeptic who's like, no, I'm going to s- ask these questions. I'm going to like, see if this is person's trustworthy or not. I'm not just going to take it for what it is. And I think, I think there's a lot of potential growth that a nine could look at from the six arrow as well. So how, how are y'all using your arrows? Are you, and then if you are, if you're kind of making those conscious moves, what does that look like? So for me, it's, it's really working on the growth pattern towards the six because I I'm extremely trustworthy by nature. And if you're looking at a spectrum, I, I trust you until you prove me otherwise. Where many people I know, like a six, would say, I don't trust you at all. You have to earn that trust. And I think that I would really benefit from um, being um, gaining some, some skills and skeptical, um, inquisitive, curious question asking and, and leaning into that part of me, um, it would round out, I think, my, my, my leadership and, and honestly my, help make better decisions, I think, in terms of everything from hiring to investing in your team to all kinds of things. If, if I were, it sounds bad to say being less trustworthy, that's not it, but it is, I think, being more curious. And fact-finding, perhaps, and stepping back and asking the right questions instead of leaping to the instinctive instinctive gut decision. Yeah, and that's because that made me think of the six as a mental type, right? So they're Mm -hmm. a head type, and they're really good problem solvers because they're like, they're quick to see the problem and like think through the solution. And so I think Mm -hmm. that that little tincture of six in the whole nine that you all are probably could be really good. Maybe not, not trusting people, but being able to have these kind of mental capacities of solving problems by being curious or by seeing, okay, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? I think six do that really well. Susanna, how about you? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that with the six. I think, one of the things I find really helpful is the troubleshooting piece and just forecasting what could go wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, looking looking at, again, kind of seeing all sides of a situation. And with that, 
what what might happen. So paying attention to that and then being a, a good troubleshooter as well, which I think sixes do a great job with troubleshooting. So I think kind of leaning into that piece of it is helpful for me. And then with the three, you know, that one um, kind of when I feel like I lean into a really strong side of three is just lots of energy, really just get things done kind of on fire, just, just go, go. And again, as I mentioned, my um, business partner, who's my husband, he's a three. So when the two of us are kind of on track with that, we, we can get so much accomplished really quickly, um, which is kind of a fun part of our business in that, you know, we're the decision makers, we're, we're doing that together. So I think that's sometimes why people, companies enjoy working with us is we can adjust to what's needed and we can move quickly and it does feel good. It feels like a lot of energy and, um, you know, just get things in motion. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, I think that I want to ask you all one last question here. I think, Leslie, you've kind of mentioned it already, but I really believe that um, as we do the work, everyone around us benefits. And, um, you know, and sometimes that's hard and it can create a lot of uh, unrest when people change. You know, it's like, I don't know if I want everybody to change. This is kind of nice. It's like, I always talk about the boat. Um, when some, one person shifts their seat on a boat, then everybody has to shift their seat. But I really believe in the power of this tool to change people for the better and the good. So I'm curious, um, what you all have observed as you're doing this work and you're trying to, you know, be the most authentic, um, grounded, leader you can be, how is that affecting people around you? Hmm. And maybe not just at work, maybe, you know, otherwise too. You know, I think that I've been through many seasons of, of, of leadership at this organization and, and others. And, um, when trust is low, it's because people aren't willing to be vulnerable and to, to be willing to do this work. And it does take a high level of, of, of vulnerability to do so. In fact, I had a coworker once who just said, Vulner- we, I won't do vulnerability here. So we were never going to get there. And so what I have seen, um, thankfully... Um, and using this tool, just starting small. I think you can't have huge expectations to roll this out in a team that's not ready. Right. But when you're willing to start with yourself and to get to the, the value point of understanding where if we can see our own blind spots and not just blind spots, but the, the, beauty, the beauty spots of ourselves um, and how we are made and then bring another leader in it with you in order to complement that and then grow it out a little bit more and a little bit more, we are now ready to take this to all the people leaders inside the United Way. And I had another member of my executive team yesterday who is a coach and has done just about everything besides the Enneagram, text me yesterday and say, this has meant so much to me. Can we please, please, please do this with our people leaders? Um, That says a lot. It gives you a container to build trust in with your people and to have hard conversations and to be self-reflective and to live out our values. And then frankly, get the work done faster. So where we were spinning before trying to do all this work and frankly failing at it in most cases, because we've taken the time to be intentional, we are kicking ass getting stuff done and having tremendous impact in our work and in this community because we've taken a little bit of time to understand ourselves and each other's better. It's, it's so simple. Mm-hmm. But if you're not willing to start first and then have a team who's willing to do it, forget it. It can't be fake and it can't be forced. And it does take time. I love that you said that. You can start small. Um, and I think it, I mean, I just, oh, I preach this all the time. It is self-development work. <laughs> you know, I've had so many people try to try to and want to impose this on other people and it rarely works effectively. 
But if I have people um, come to me who are ready, it's like when the student's ready, the teacher comes kind of idea. They, Mm -hmm. this work is just really, really um, powerful for me to witness and be a very teeny part of it. So Susanna, you kind of have to start at a low point sometimes yeah, to build you do. back up. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think sometimes it has to start there too. Like if we're, mm-hmm. things are kind of bebopping along, sometimes we don't think we need any self-development work, you know? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think for myself, when I started working with the Enneagram, it was really for my own personal growth and just interest, just fascination in people and how different people think just just kind of for an understanding of other people and i've been surprised i think at how much i feel like the work that i'm doing is spilling out into personal relationships into um you know my leadership with my work just as an example, um, for a while back in the early days when, when we started our company, I really kind of saw the job I was doing as, you know, I was free. So I was the one who was doing it because we both started, you know, we started the company. It was our company and didn't really recognize what I personally was bringing to the table. Just mm-hmm. I was doing work that needed to be done. And in the past few years, we've been growing as a company, bringing on some managers to work in our company. And as I've been working with them and doing some training with them, it's interesting because I'm realizing things that I just took for granted that anybody would do or think of or know to do, that that's not the case because mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're different and they think differently and they, of course, bring all their own strengths to the table, which is which is why we wanted to build this team of leaders in the first place, this team of managers, and is to broaden what we have as a company. But I I have been surprised that there are things somewhat unique to the way I think mm. that have been pointed out to me as I'm going mm-hmm. through kind of bringing them in. So that's been fun for me. You know, it's been fun to recognize that. And then again, to be blending, you know, as Leslie was talking about sort of blending with other people. And so I think the more I'm aware of myself, I keep, I can try to catch myself in those blind spots. Now I'm, I recognize them quicker if I'm headed in that direction. And I think it's just helping our team Again, be healthier, be happier. I think I'm happier in my own life, um, feeling more fulfilled and taking care of myself better, um, which it it all is just a positive thing. Well, I really appreciate you all helping me pitch the Enneagram to all of our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) You just set that up so beautifully. Uh, But I mean, of course, I'm an... Uh, evangelist for it. I think it's fantastic, but um, maybe not for everybody, but thank you both for being here. This is um, such a gift to have you two here and to have you share your insights and your, um, your struggles for, you know, letting us into that a little bit too, which I know is not always easy to do on a podcast. So, um, but just thank you. Thank you for being uh, honest and real and for being here today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Shelly. 